Welcome back to these video classes brought to you by the Laurel Heights Church of Christ in McAllen, Texas. I'm Warren Berkeley, and we are in 2 John. You might say 2 John chapter 1, but there's just that one chapter in 2 John. I hope you're ready. I hope that you have your Bible open. I'm going to read the entire epistle, the one chapter, 2 John, and then we'll go back and continue our studies at verse 5. Here's the second epistle of John. The elder to the elect lady and her children, whom I love in truth, and not only I, but also all who know the truth, because of the truth that abides in us and will be with us forever. Grace, mercy, and peace will be with us from God the Father, and from Jesus Christ the Father's Son in truth and love. I rejoiced greatly to find some of your children walking in the truth, just as we were commanded by the Father. And now I ask you, dear lady, not as though I were writing you a new commandment, but the one we have had from the beginning, that we love one another. And this is love that we walk according to his commandments. This is the commandment just as you have heard from the beginning, so that you should walk in it. For many deceivers have gone out into the world, those who do not confess the coming of Christ in the flesh. Such a one is the deceiver and the antichrist. Watch yourselves so that you may not lose what we have worked for, but may win a full reward. Everyone who goes on ahead and does not abide in the teaching of Christ does not have God. Whoever abides in the teaching has both the Father and the Son. If anyone comes to you and does not bring this teaching, do not receive him into your house or give him any greeting. For whoever greets him takes part in his wicked works. Though I have much to write to you, I would rather not use paper and ink. Instead, I hope to come to you and talk face to face so that our joy may be complete. The children of your elect sister greet you. Let's go back now and continue our studies. We are at verse 5 in Second John. And now I ask you, dear lady, not as though I were writing you a new commandment, but the one we have had from the beginning, that we love one another. I think one of the first things we notice about the epistles of John is this emphasis on love. Now, certainly every other New Testament writer is in agreement. The New Testament writings are uniform. If we love God, love Christ, love the truth, we will love each other. Jesus taught love. Jesus perfectly illustrated love. He even said, love your enemies. Here in 2 John verse 5, John repeats what he wrote in the first epistle. You'll find this teaching in almost identical terms back in 1 John chapter 2 verses 7 and 8. You see, when John wrote these epistles, love was not a new commandment. From the beginning, 
John and the other apostles repeated what Jesus taught and what Jesus in his life illustrated, sacrificial love for one another. From the beginning of the preaching of the gospel, this principle of love was clearly taught. John wrote what Jesus said in John 13, 43. A new commandment I give to you, that you love one another as I have loved you, that you also love one another. By this all will know that you are my disciples if you have love one for another. Verse 6 continues this. And this is love that we walk according to his commandments. This is the commandment, just as you have heard from the beginning, so that you should walk in it. In the Bible, in the New Testament, and certainly in the writings of John, love is often presented right alongside the duty of obedience. In fact, when we take all biblical instruction into account, we cannot imagine biblical love absent obedience to God. We cannot imagine obedience to God without the love modeled by Jesus Christ. In 1 John, and now in 2 John, there are these critical connections. They are vital in understanding and applying this teaching. <coughs> Faith is active. Love is active. If we are walking in the truth, we are keeping God's commandments. Trust in Christ means following his example. So this is over and over in John's writings. Here it is. This is love that we walk according to his commandments. And this is the commandment that you have heard from the beginning and you should walk in it. Verse seven, for many deceivers have gone out into the world. Those who do not confess the coming of Jesus Christ in the flesh. Such a one is the deceiver and the antichrist. I want to spend a little time with this word deceivers. In the first epistle and here in the second epistle, John is troubled about something that was going on in his time. Deceivers. We need to think about what a deceiver is. Because not only were there these deceivers in John's time, we believe there are deceivers in our time. I found this definition of deceiver in the American Heritage Dictionary a few years ago. To victimize persons, for the most partly by underhanded means. Deceive involves falsehood or the deliberate concealment or misrepresentation of truth with intent to lead another into error or disadvantage, to victimize persons, not accidentally, but with intent, by underhanded means. Deceivers use falsehood. <coughs> they deliberately conceal. They misrepresent the truth with intent to lead another into error or disadvantage. Now, let's be very clear about deceivers. There are some people who are misinformed, sincerely mistaken, ignorant, or misguided. John is talking about deceivers. 
They seek to mislead. They victimize persons by underhanded means. They conceal, misrepresent, and lead people into error. John is sounding an alarm, for many deceivers have gone out into the world. They want to deceive. not confess Jesus Christ coming in the flesh. Well, you cannot take this lightly. This is not like a simple difference of opinion or a matter of judgment or liberty. Jesus came in the flesh. He lived a real life on earth, yet without sin. He died for us, was raised from the dead, ascended into heaven. These deceivers denied that Jesus came in the flesh. They deliberately stated their case against the historic reality and truth of Jesus Christ coming to the earth. They were deceivers, and they went out, John says, to deceive. The particular form of deceit was to become anti-Christ. For many deceivers have gone out into the world who do not confess Jesus Christ as coming in the flesh, this is a deceiver and an antichrist. A lesson to learn here. When it comes to false teachers and deceivers, we have to be alert. We have to take this reality seriously. Deceit cannot be lightly dismissed. Verse 8, watch yourselves so that you may not lose what we have worked for, but may win a full reward. I think this is an interesting contextual direction here. Verse 7 puts up the flag of alert about deceivers. They go out to deceive. Verse 8 says, look to yourselves. When there is deceit and false teaching out there around me, I need to look to myself, self examination. I need to be certain I am abiding in the truth. I need to make sure I'm not participating in or encouraging deceit or false teaching. When there is deceit around me, I need to make certain there's not deceit getting into me. Verse 8, self-examination. Once we become aware of any spiritual threat, any temptation, any danger to our faith, our response, our first response should be introspective. We must defend ourselves against error and deceit. I find this striking and practical. In this context, where John puts his readers on alert to deceit, he calls upon them to examine themselves. And the implication in verse 8 is, if we neglect this self-examination, we stand to lose our reward. Look to yourselves that we do not lose those things we worked for, but that we may receive a full reward. Everyone who goes on ahead and does not abide in the teaching of Christ does not have God. Whoever abides in the teaching has both the Father and the Son. We're going to take a look at this phrase by phrase. Whoever transgresses or goes on ahead. That's the way verse 9 begins. 
If you have the New American Standard Bible, updated version, anyone who goes too far. If you have the New International Version, anyone who runs ahead. The idea is to get away from. The American Standard Version goeth onward. The uh, 20th century New Testament goes beyond the limits of the teaching of the Christ. In the teaching of Christ, given by the apostles and revealed in the New Testament, we have a divine and therefore sufficient body of instruction for our faith and practice today. I want to say that again. In the teaching of Christ given by the apostles and revealed in the New Testament, we have a divine and therefore sufficient body of instruction for our faith and practice today. When we go beyond the limits of the teaching of Christ, when we transgress and do not abide, <coughs> I'm sorry, in the teaching of Christ, we do not have God. We suffer a loss of his approval and fellowship. Uh, that fits well into what John has already said in this context. He begins the epistle by talking about the truth in verses 1 and 2. In verse 4, he rejoiced because Christians were walking in the truth. In verse 6, walking according to his commandments. So this all fits. And the message is to believe in Christ and obey his teachings never entertaining any thought that we can go beyond his teachings in any way. If we do not abide in his teaching, we lose, verse 8 warns of loss. Verse 9 specifies that loss does not have God. John made the same point in 1 John, 1 John 2.24, he said, therefore, let that abide in you, which you heard from the beginning. If what you heard from the beginning abides in you, <clears throat> you also will abide in the Son and in the Father. We cannot go beyond the teachings of Christ and continue to have the favor, approval, and fellowship of the Father and the Son. But look now at the second part of 2 John 9. He who abides in the doctrine of Christ has both the Father and the Son. Here is that word abide, which is related to the words abode and residence. As I live in, as I abide in, reside in the doctrine of Christ, I enjoy the favor and fellowship of both the Father and the Son. That privilege is imparted to me by the grace of God. So in all that we do as individual Christians, in all that we do together as a local church, we must watch out for deceivers, look to ourselves, and correct our course if necessary to ensure we are abiding in the doctrine of Christ. Or, as Jesus said in Matthew 28, verse 20, observing all the things he has commanded. Verse 10 if anyone comes to you and does not bring this teaching, do not receive him into your house or give him any greeting. I heard the expression one time about this verse, the threshold test. 
I believe I read that in some old restoration literature. The threshold test meant before you come into my house, before I give you hospitality, before I help you in your teaching and preaching efforts, what do you teach? Do you believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God who came in the flesh? Are you committed to the sufficiency of the gospel? Do you abide in the teaching of Christ? I know this sounds interrogative. I know this sounds like something easily abused or taken too far or used to enforce something other than the teaching of Christ. But the principle of the threshold test, if kept within apostolic context, is valid, has a good purpose to keep us from helping a false teacher. If anyone comes to you and does not bring this doctrine, don't help him in his teaching efforts. We ought to help to the full measure of our ability men who preach the truth. We ought not to help men who do not bring this doctrine. We should provide hospitality for people who are involved in good work of good preaching and teaching the gospel, but provide no hospitality, help, or good wishes if they do not bring this doctrine. So this required reaction. And it's often criticized. The threshold test is too dogmatic. Yet in the criminal legal arena, the same sort of thing is common. If a man comes to your door and he says, listen, I've just robbed a bank and I need a place to hide out for a while. Well, we all know it's illegal to harbor a felon. In this part of the country, you have to be careful lest you give refuge or shelter to somebody involved in something illegal. This is simple. If someone is involved in something that is wrong, evil, deceitful, spiritually dangerous, and destructive, we should withhold any help give them no aid, nor wish them well in their evil work. We ought to try to correct them. <clears throat> it says, for he who greets him shares in his evil deeds. If the evil deeds are there, I don't want to share in them. New American Standard says, the one who gives him a greeting participates in his evil deeds. We don't want to do that. Remember, John said in 1 John 4, 1, test the spirits whether they are of God. 12 and 13, though I have much to write to you, I would rather not use paper and ink. Instead, I hope to come to you and talk face to face so that our joy may be complete. The children of your elect sister greet you. Well, some things are best said in person. John had other things to say but did not want to convey those things with paper and ink. His hope was to see them face to face. My hope is to see you face to face. In closing the letter, he extended greetings from Christians he was with. And this brings us to the end of the second epistle of John. Truth and love and obeying God's commandments that those things all go together. They're connected by the Holy Spirit. And these things ought to be apparent in our lives. 
And if we are committed to the truth and we love each other and we're obeying God, we ought to be alert. There are deceivers. And some are active spreaders of error to whom hospitality should not be granted. We don't want to aid or assist those who are spreading error. If we go beyond the teaching of Christ, we no longer have God in our lives. Will you join us for the next class? We will be in uh, 3 John. We'll be in 3 John. Thank you.